Remember your pre-Christ days? Remember those days? If sin was fun, right? I mean, you hungered for it. I hungered for it. Now it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. So, Father, we just come before you, just meditating on your goodness. So, God, would you speak in our time as we open the Word? I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that, that He would illuminate these words off the pages, into our minds, and then deep into the bedrock of our hearts. And so, God, would you speak? I pray you would hide me behind the shadows of the cross. Holy Spirit, would you move in power today? Just move in power. I pray as we confess our sin, as we get right with you perhaps today, as we lay whatever challenges we have at the foot of the cross, we know that that your yoke is easy and the burden is light. And Jesus, you have big shoulders for our big problems. So work in a powerful way today, God. The move, I pray again against the schemes of the enemy. We just want your glory, your praise, total obedience, total surrender all the days of our lives. God, we give you this as an offering, as a prayer, that we depend on you. Would you bow your ear down to us right now? Scoop us up. Carry us. We're helpless and we're hopeless without you. And so to you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen, amen. amen. Take that Bible and turn to James, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, looking at verses 12 through 13. We're wrapping up our study on this 13-verse section of partiality, of favoritism, of discrimination. And God's Word, as we've learned over the last few weeks, is a very direct in this, uh, doesn't mince words. And we see very clearly what His Word says about this. And as you're turning there, I, I wanted to read a, a few statistics that I came across this past week. You know, this COVID-19 has... Well, it's thrown us all for a loop, amen? There's no rule book for this. In pastor world that I live in, we're all scratching our heads going, we're not really sure what to do necessarily, but as Jehoshaphat said, Lord, our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And these stats came from Barna Research and also the American Bible Society. But listen to these statistics that I pray will give us something to ponder as we move forward, as we go forward. Number one, one in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID. So one in three has stopped. Now we get this, there's a high risk, there's people with COVID, and obviously you stop, we get that. But we know from the data, we know this to be true, 
that of those one of three, there's a high percentage that are just enjoying the four-month vacation. And, and you start a four-month bad habit, and it's real hard to get out of that four-month bad habit, isn't it? Number two, 15% of practicing Christians multitask while streaming the worship service. So for you that are watching right now, put down the smoothie you're making, uh, get off the lawnmower. Uh, I mean, you guys know this as parents. How do you feel as parents when you're talking to your child and, well, they're playing video games or looking down, not listening, and you're trying to get a point across? Imagine how the Lord feels. That's what I, when I read that, I thought, I wonder how the Lord feels. Hey, we're just trying to fit him in, give him a little airtime with our schedule. 15%. Lastly, Bible reading has dropped from January 2020 through June 2020, according to the American Bible Society. Here's the quote they gave. What we saw between January and June was that 13 million people in America who were previously really engaging meaningfully with Scripture, meaningfully with Scripture, no longer were. And that was a serious drop-off. You would think that in the midst of a pandemic, a crisis, that we'd be running to the Word, amen? you think we'd be running, opening the pages of Scripture. We're seeing just the opposite happen. So, so what's the point here? Well, here's the point. Uh, we're in troubling days, but for the believer, these can be great days because we know that the Lord's in control, amen? And we know He's sovereign, we know He's got this, but it also should give us pause to say, hey, we're continuing, we're continuing to see America go even more post-Christian. But we're seeing this happen before our eyes. And so for you, I, the true believer, it should give us a sense of urgency, a sense of urgency to be the church in the community, to make a difference, to share the love of Christ. You say, how does that fit into James? Well, I think it fits in beautifully here in James chapter 2. And so the sermon titles you see there in your notes, I pray you have something to write with in front of you. The title is simply this, a question, I want to ask it out loud, am I getting and giving what I deserve? Think about that for a moment, a unique question. Am I getting, am I receiving, and am I giving what I deserve? You're thinking that sounds like a, a really strange question. Well, we're going to see here in James what this means. And so here it is, James chapter 2, Bible open, heart ready to receive the word. Holy Spirit, speak to us now. James 2, 12 through 13. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now, make a note of the speaking, the acting, and the law of liberty. 13, our final verse. For judgment, interesting, is without mercy, wow, to one who has shown no mercy. That's a lipstick, highlightable moment right there. Lastly, mercy, this is the good news, mercy triumphs over judgment. Now remember, remember the context here. So, so you got 13 verses in your Bible, James 2 verse 1 through 13, or 13 verses, all about this partiality, all about discrimination, all about favoritism. And remember James, he gave this illustration. He said, hey, you got two dudes, they walk into your church. 
and one's loaded. One's got bling bling. Uh, he's just rocking it out and the other's poor. And you analyze the two and you go, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I can gain something from you. I can have advantage with you, rich man. Uh, you come sit right here. VIP seating, front row seats, air conditioned, the whole deal. You're poor. You offer me nothing. Uh, hey, you're back there. You're over there. Better yet, why don't you sit at my feet because I'm better than you. And James is addressing a subject matter because it's going on. You typically don't address subject matters unless they're going on. And so there's obviously an issue here of this favoritism. And it was insanity because the rich people that day were the very ones that would mistreat these Christian believers. But doesn't that just show, show me and you how deceived I can be, you can be? I shared that last week where I've been going through some pruning in my own life and it's easy to be deceived. I've been there. It's easy because it's such a slow fade, isn't it? We typically don't get deceived overnight. When I talk to folks that are going through great sin struggles, typically when they begin to share the story, you know, this was years in the making of just one slow fade after another. And James is saying, look, if you're really going to be the bride of Christ, if you're really going to be the church, you got to back up not just what you're preaching, but also back it up with what you're living. Remember, though, look in your Bible for just a moment before we unpack 12. Look there in verse 8 for just a second. I, I want to go back to this from last week. Look what that says there for a moment. If you really fulfill that royal law, remember that, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So James is at the, the end. This is the, the crescendo, so to speak. This is, hey, I'm going to put a big red bow on this text of partiality. And he says this in verse 12. He says, so speak. Don't miss that. Make a note. And so act. You know, when you say, hey, so, typically you're saying, here is the conclusion. Listen up, listen up. Uh, listen quickly. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. And he says, speak. And so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So we got speaking. So let's think about this for a moment. Break it down. Make it very elementary, very simplistic. So speaking is this. Our minds have a, a data center, if you will, in there that we, have, we process thoughts. And as the thoughts are being processed, the thoughts go from the mind then to the mouth, don't they? Now, I know this can be a, a touchy subject because often uh, the, the filter that hopefully is in there, uh, someone gets disengaged and we got a thought and we decide, hey, this is a good time to spew and it's not a good time to spew and whoops, we're trying to grab the words and oh no, damage is done. But that's what speaking is. So it's thoughts that go from the mind to the mouth and exit. Acting is not like acting in Hollywood. Acting here is you are carrying out a task, you're doing something. So you got to break this down. It's so important. So James says, so speak. And he says, act, how? Not a trick question. As you are to be judged. So that word judged, you could say it like this. In the Greek, you could say condemnation could be one thing. It literally means kind of in its primal sense to separate. How many of you, uh, you know, baked a cake, you know, for 4-H when you were like in elementary school? Anyone besides Mark? No one else? Okay, just Mark only. Okay. All right. So, you know, you baked a cake. And, and what did you do? Well, 
what happened is it probably got judged, right? And you got judged, and what happened? Well, if there was only three people in the contest, uh, you got a third-placed ribbon, which really wasn't real accurate because there's only three people. But the reality is they, they ate your cake, they, they looked at it, they saw how glorious it looked, and they said, hey, we're going to judge it, right? That's what judges do. They, they look at something, and then there's a judgment, a conclusion of separation. People are separated. So James says, look, as you live in this world where you're dealing in partiality, and by the way, we're here, amen, 2020, Man, we got partiality, discrimination, racism, but you name it. It's like, it's not on our door, like it's in our world, so to speak, right? It's inside the house. And James says, look, because this is an issue, here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak and act as though you're being judged. You're being critiqued. You're going to give an account, if you will, by what law? The law of man? The law of the land? No, what your Bible say. It says the law of liberty. Now, make a note of this, because law of liberty, law of liberty, boy, they sound like they contradict, don't they? Polar opposites. How can you have a law and have liberty? Well, think about this. So you got the law, but then you have liberty here, which is freedom. How are we free in our culture today, truthfully? How are we free? Jesus. It's literally the law of Christ. It's the gospel. Uh, The law, remember, Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And as Jesus has done this through his righteous royal blood, here's what happened. Who the Son sets free is free what? Indeed. So not a freedom that we sin. I mean, just think how asinine that is. So imagine you're a believer here today, for everyone is. Imagine that you say, hey, I'm under Jesus, his righteousness, his blood, I can go do whatever I want. Well, my response to you is, you don't understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't understand it. Paul even said it like this in Romans. He says, do we go on sinning that grace may abound? And he said these two words. He says, certainly not, exclamation point. So when you hear law of liberty, this is not license to sin. This is, I understand the gospel. I get it. Like my eyes are open. I see how wicked I am. I see how much I need the Lord, His grace, His mercy. I actually don't want to sin anymore. We still do. We still struggle. We still stumble. But the desire that we used to have, remember that? Remember your pre-Christ days? Remember those days? Sin was fun, right? I mean, you hungered for it. I hungered for it. Now it breaks our hearts, doesn't it? When we sin, when I wound people, Man, I'm crushed. I want to make it right. I I want to repair. I want to restore the damage I've done. Because the Lord living in me, prayerfully living in you, will reveal that, and we don't want to walk in that way. James is saying here, judge yourself as you speak and you act as though you're under the gospel. Here's the real cliff notes. Live like a Christ follower is what he's saying. Like, don't show partiality, don't discriminate, don't have racism, don't have any of that division. Live as though you're truly saved. So here's key number one I want to give you. Write it down. Key number one. Key number one. Our speech and actions should reflect a life transformed by the gospel. Let me say that again. Write it down. Key one. Our speech and our actions 
should reflect a life transformed by the gospel. We're free from the curse of the law. The law has brought a curse, right? Think about Old Testament. Old Testament, you sinned, what did you do? Well, you, you backed up your U-Haul with, with sacrifices, didn't you? A lot of blood had to have been shed. Aren't you glad that Jesus took our, our place, took our penalty? We've been free by the law of liberty, the law of the gospel, the law of Christ. We've been free from that. But it's important, as James says, speak, act as though we're judged by that. See, if I know, if you know that I'm judged, if I am mirrored, if my life, if your life is looking to Christ, His Word, and it's reflecting back to me as I live, as you live, just think about your life right now. You're living, I'm living, and we're looking to the law as far as the law of Christ. We're looking to the Word of God, the schoolmaster, the tutor. As we look at it, it gives back exactly what's being put forth, and we see it for what it is. Like when I see my life held up against the Word of God, when I see I'm either walking in holiness or, uh uh-oh, boy, this is not good. I need to repent. I got areas of pruning and refining. My speech, your speech, my actions, your actions, should be, reflect, a life transformed by the gospel. Write down Galatians 5.1. This is a great supporting verse that that I pray will encourage you, but there's a great admonition in this short verse. Galatians 5.1, it says this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. And all God's people said, amen, right? Now, here's the instruction. Stand how? Firm. So stand firm. Stand firm in the goodness of the Lord that we sang about today, right? And all the struggles, the heartache, the pain, we're stumbling forward, we're struggling, we're all in this together. Let's stand firm in Christ, therefore, and do not what? Look at that admonition on the back end. Do not what? Submit again to what? Yoke of slavery. That law, that old life, well, all that was just a burden because there was a yoke. Remember the yoke? That yoke has two But we get fashioned to the yoke of Jesus who said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Or if we're not careful, we become enslaved into a yoke. Uh, We got sin on one side and we're on the other and we're just going everywhere else the yoke goes, so to speak. No, we're free from that. That's what Christ did. He freed us. Write down 2 Corinthians as well. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says this, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So every believer will be at the judgment seat, the bema seat. It's going to happen to every one of us who's a true believer. By the way, you want to be in that line, amen? Like if you're in the line, this is great white throne judgment, uh, that there's no do-overs, uh, it's all over. Uh, you want to be in the line called the bema judgment seat of Christ. Now here's the explanation. So that each one may receive what is due, interesting, for what he has done in the body, hmm. whether good or evil. I'm going to be judged? I thought I'm, I thought I'm free in Christ. Well, we are. But the beam of judgment seat is not for salvation being judged, separated. It's for eternal reward. And that's a whole nother sermon we'll get into in another day. But we want to live for Christ, right? Paul said, I make it my aim to be well-pleasing to the Lord. That should be my goal and your goal. And yes, it's hard. It's hard though, isn't it? I mean, yet it's hard. 
And there's some days that are just hard. There's some days it's like, don't you feel like Paul? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? And we just struggle. It's, it's not easy. You know, being this Christian is not about being perfect. And, and I think that's something the Lord is continuing to teach me. You know, it's, it's easy to, to want to have this outward persona, isn't it? That I got it all together, don't have any struggles. Well, that's just not true. It's just not true. I have struggles, you have struggles, we all have struggles. Let's be well-pleasing to the Lord. How about uh, verse 13? Take, take a note of that there. Let's look together at verse 13. This is the meat of the text. So verse 13 just simple words, but man, this is deep. So verse 13, here it is. For judgment, so there's that separation, that conviction, that condemnation at times, without mercy. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Conviction, condemnation, mercy. What's mercy? So here's mercy. Make a note of this, mercy. Mercy is receiving what we don't deserve. You guys may have seen this. Maybe you've been in this situation. I don't know. But if you've been in a courtroom where uh, you are pleading the mercy of the court, what are you doing? Well, you saunter in, right? You saunter in. Uh, you got your, your chest out. Your chest bowed out, don't you? I mean, you saunter in. You say, what's up, judge? I mean, you saunter in there. You're like, hey, man, good to see all you guys here. I mean, you're loud. You're just... You're bold, you're brash, right? If you're going to plead the mercy. Is that what you do? Of course not. What do you do? I mean, you, you walk in probably quietly, perhaps your head's down. If it's real, which prayerfully it is, that the heart's been gripped and ripped and stripped, so to speak, and cut to the heart, and you're humble, you're pliable, you're coachable, you're teachable, and the judge says, how do you plead? And you say, I'd plead the mercy of the court. What are you doing? But you're saying, look, I'm guilty. And my guilt, and especially my consequences, are now in your hands. And I say, hey, have mercy on me. I don't want what I deserve. I want clemency. I want kindness. I want compassion. And so here James is saying in the context of the two brothers walking into the church house and there's discrimination going on, take that principle and expand it, which we can and should, any partiality, discrimination, racism, all that goes on. We need to understand what God's word says right here. For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. What shows mean? It means to exhibit. It means to literally extend. So judgment, that condemnation is for me and you that, hey, we'll take the mercy. We just don't want to give it. That's why key number two, I want you to write this down, and then we're going to pack all this together. But write down key number two. Key number two, here it is. A life that has received God's mercy will joyfully extend his mercy. Key number two, here it is. A life that has received God's mercy will joyfully extend God's mercy. So here is 
in my own life, and maybe you're identifying with this as well, I don't know. But I think this is one of the most respectable sins in Christians, myself included, today. Holding a grudge. You know, when I begin to hold a grudge or you begin to hold a grudge, what we've now done unwittingly is we've now opened the doors to the seeds of bitterness being planted deep within the bedrock of our souls. Now, I get this because my deal is that I've hurt people and I've been hurt. And I know everyone in the church house today could amen the same thing. If we're truthful, we've all been hurt, and truthfully, we've all hurt people. And if we're not careful, we can get really, really excited about receiving the mercy of the Lord, right? And we all talk about it, we sing about it, we amen it, we, we raise hands, we clap, because it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, it's awesome. It's, it's amazing. There's nothing like the mercy of the Lord. But the question the Lord was asking me this past week, and I ask you, is are we as excited to lavish that same mercy on others as we take in from the Lord. I made a few notes here. I just jotted these down, and so just, I'll read them to you. A person who gladly welcomes God's mercy, but does not also extend God's mercy, does not truly understand God's mercy. Let me say that again. A person who gladly welcomes, hey, bring it on. Like, give me a mercy bath, right? But does not extend God's mercy, does not truly understand God's mercy. It's difficult to extend a love that you yourself have not been transformed by. Extending mercy to others is a good indicator that you and I have received God's mercy. And then I put this note. I said, when someone has apologized for an offense and asked for forgiveness, now again, context here, it's not a show, it's not a sham, it's real, not a charade. There's humility. When they have asked for forgiveness, they've apologized, they've humbled themselves. What happens in our own hearts if we continue to hold a grudge? Now, I'm guilty of this, I've done this. We hold that grudge, don't we? Because we're hurt, we're wounded, we're self-protecting perhaps. And, and when we hold on to that, we think that we are keeping them in a prison, so to speak, but we're really putting ourselves in a prison. It's like that person said years ago, great quote, they said, bitterness is like you, me, drinking the poison while we're waiting for the other person to die. That's so true. You hold those grudges and they seem so innocent but we rationalize them, we justify them. You just don't know what they did. And what happens is we are unwittingly fertilizing those grudges. And under the surface, they are growing. Two things happen. We live in sin. We hold the grudge. And again, that bitterness will rear its ugly head. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. 
That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Write down these supporting verses that I pray will encourage you and challenge you. Matthew 5, 7. Matthew 5, 7 says this, very simply, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Right there in the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaking. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. How about Matthew 7, verse 2? Matthew 7, 2, write that down. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How about Romans chapter 2, verse 1? Romans 2, 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Have you ever been guilty of that one? Man, you're holding on to a grudge, co-worker, family member, church member, ball team, fill in the blank, maybe all the above. And man, we're holding on, we're holding on. And if truth be told, it may have been a year ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but we actually dealt in a similar sin, but man, we are just holding on. The word right there, Romans 2, 1. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn who? Yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, preacher, I want an illustration from Matthew. Well, I'm glad you asked. So in Matthew 18, I'm not going to read it. It's a long text, but just write down Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And here's what happens. Peter comes on the scene. Peter, good old Peter, right? Peter, shy, bashful, unassuming Peter, right? Not the one we know. First one out of the boat. First one to chop off ears. Peter, here he is. First one to speak up. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I got an idea. He says, how often should I forgive my, my brother who sins against me? How often? And then instead of just listening, which he didn't do often, he spoke even more. He says, how about seven times? Well, he thought he was doing well, right? You look back in that culture and you know, if he would have said two or three, that would have been a good thing. But seven, man, that's more than double. Peter's doing good, right? Jesus, what does he say in the word there? I love what he says. He says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but what? Seventy times seven. And what was Jesus saying? He's saying, look, you keep forgiving as much as needs to be forgiven. He says, okay, Peter, I know you're not getting this. So the kingdom of heaven is like, anytime you see that in scripture, put on your seatbelt. The kingdom of heaven is like, he says, look, there's a king. And he's got a servant, and the servant owes him literally 10,000 talents. Now, you ought to understand this. In that day, 10,000 talents, it was an insurmountable sum. You could not repay this. King goes to the servant and says, look, I'm going to take all my people, and they're going to take you and your family, your wife, your children, all your belongings. You're going to be sold. Servant says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, you can't do that. Be patient with me. Have mercy on me. King says, hey, you know what? 
I'm going to relent. Go your way. So what do you think happens next? The guy who was just forgiven an amount he could never repay, instead of going away humbly and joyfully, goes out looking for someone who owes him money. You talk about deception, right? Boy, our hearts, my heart, man, we are wicked, aren't we? Man, we will go off the rails in a heartbeat. And this guy goes out, finds someone who owes him one day's wage, one. He was just forgiven a debt he could never repay. He goes with heat-seeking missiles trying to find one guy. He finds him, he owes him one day's wage. He begins to choke him. And all the fellow servants are watching. And guess what they do? Well, they go back to the king and say, hey, here's what happened. The king comes to this man and says, you wicked servant. I forgave you a debt that you could never repay. And you're going out right now. And you are now holding accountable a man who owes you one day's wage. And by the way, when you look at this account in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, you're going to see there that what the first man pleaded with the king, what he said, and what the second servant pleaded then with that fellow servant who was choking him were identical pleas of mercy, identical. And through this deception, he now is thrown back into jail until everything is repaid, the first servant. And here's what the king said. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Why do you think he added from your heart there? Well, here's what happens. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when the mouth speaks, it's what's in my heart. If my heart is still holding the grudge and I'm hanging on and I'm keeping the accounts and I got the checklist going on, I can say with my mouth, I forgive you but my heart hasn't forgiven you. And there's bitterness and there's wounds and there's a grudge in there. It's going to fester and I'm going to be in the self-imposed prison for the rest of my days. It's from my heart, from your heart, we must extend this forgiveness. Write down Philippians 1, Philippians 1, 27. Philippians 1, 27, Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, read that before, didn't we? In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side. Why? For the faith of the gospel. That's the church right there. That's our mission here. That would be one accord, one mind, one heart, one soul, one mission, striving side by side, just working in one direction, advancing the gospel. I love the first part of that verse, though. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Think about this, church. So here we are in James, and James says, look, so speak and so act, what? That you are judged under the law of liberty. In other words, act like a Christian. John, act like a Christian. Put your name in there. Act like a Christian. Paul says, only let what? 
your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. What's Paul saying? Act like a Christian. Act like a little Christ. That's what a Christian is. A Christ in. If you take out Christ, all you got is the end, right? No, we're Christians. We're little Christ living for him all the days of our lives. Now, I do want to make a note here before we go into this last part of 13. James is not, and both Paul, by the way, both Paul and James are not advocating, here clearly, they're not advocating that we don't confront sin. That's not what they're saying. It's not what they're saying. The scripture is very clear, very clear of confronting sin. Matter of fact, Matthew 18 gives us great context of how we are to confront sin. So we're not saying just extend mercy and don't deal with sin. That's not what's being portrayed here. But we do extend mercy, especially in this context, rich and poor coming to the church house. We extend mercy. Hey, if you're rich, great. We're going to extend mercy. If you're poor, we're going to extend mercy. You heard me say this before. Homeless people, if they come in here, we're going to love them. Prostitutes, we're going to love them. Fill in the blank. We're going to love people that come here to this church because we want them to run to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because who sets people free? It's the Son that sets people free, and they're free indeed. So I want us to think about a quote here as we launch in this last part of verse 13. Blackaby said this, just powerful, and I want you to meditate on this. So here's what Blackaby said. He said, the way you live your life ought to be a tribute to the matchless grace that your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has bestowed upon you. Isn't that good? Let me just say that again. Just just marinate, soak on that for a moment. The way you, me, you live your life ought to be a tribute, a tribute to the matchless grace, right? I mean, the grace of Jesus Christ ought to be a tribute to the matchless grace that your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has bestowed, lavished upon you. So here's the last part of 13. I want to read this all in context here. So here it is, 12 and 13 of James 2. So speak and so act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, 13. For judgment is without mercy, don't miss that, to one who has shown no mercy. Now there's four more words he throws in. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So mercy, clemency, you have this not receiving what we deserve. Triumphs, what's that mean? Here's triumphs. Triumphs means this, to exalt over, to be victorious over. And really, when you think of the word triumph, if you're playing on a ball team and you say, hey, we triumphed over our opponent, the score probably wasn't five to four, right? Typically, when you say something like that, you know, it was like 32 to three. I mean, it was like mercy rule, you know, help, we surrender, uh, we're done, white flags. That's what this triumph is showing. When James says, look, act, speak in the way that you're under the law of Christ, this law of liberty, by the way, you're going to be judged when you don't extend mercy with that same measure. But by the way, on the back end, he's saying, look, I want to give you, James is saying, one of the most glorious thoughts in all of Scripture, and here it is, mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's getting at here is that key number three, and I want to give this to you out of the gate. So write this down because it's going to explain exactly what he means by these four words. 
So here's key number three. Here it is. Because of the mercy that God has lavished upon us, Christ's righteousness, don't miss that, provides the only way for us to triumph over judgment. Key number three, here it is, write it down. Because of the mercy that God has lavished upon us, Christ's righteousness provides the only way for us to triumph over judgment. Here's the deal. We talked about it earlier. Every person who is here today, every person who has ever lived will face judgment. That's how this works. You can't say, hey, you know, I'll take Jesus or leave him. No, you can't. We will all face Jesus at some point in judgment. And this is talking about the judgment to come. That this mercy here is triumphing over the judgment. One commentator said it like this, and I thought they said it well. And I quote, The merciful life will triumph in the face of judgment, end quote. The merciful life, it's going to be so glorious on that day when we face judgment. I mean, think about this right now. If you and I are living a life where all we do is say, God, give me, give me, give me. Think about that prodigal son. Remember that prodigal son? Uh, he was prodigal. And uh, he said, Dad, he said, give me, give me, give me. Just give me. All self, right? Just me, 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 me monster, me planet, me universe. Just give me, give me, give me. But the person who is merciful is like the prodigal because the prodigal went from give me, give me, give me to make me, make me, make me. Have you ever noticed that in that text? The prodigal went from give me, give me, give me to make me, make me, make me. What happens when you and I go from give me, give me, give me, self, 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 to make me, make me, make me? Man, there's a heart of brokenness, a heart of contrition, a heart that says, God, man, I'm repenting. We get to the point where we're like, I see clearly for the first time, and the blinders have been removed. Man, the deaf me, I'm hearing. The blind me, we're seeing. I see my sin for what it is. And that is one of the most beautiful moments in a believer's life that even I've been going through recently, that when I begin to see my sin for what it is, how it's impacted the people I love, Number one, it's absolutely crushing and devastating, but it can be a glorious time in your life and my life that we see it for what it is, we call it for what it is, we don't blame shift, we say, yes, that's me, I did it, I'm taking ownership for it. God can begin to work in a powerful way. He can take the mess and create the message, the trials to the triumph, the brokenness to the breakthrough. He can do all of those things, but it's going to take a humble contrite heart. And humility in your life and my life as a believer really is one of the great hallmarks of a changed life. That when we are humble and coachable and teachable, it's showing that, hey, we don't got it all together, but we serve the one who does. Key number three again, i got to give it one more time. Because of the mercy that God has lavished upon us, Christ's righteousness provides the only way for us to triumph over judgment. Think about this. The greatest acquittal happened when Christ acquitted you and me. Like He acquitted us. 
we were declared not guilty. Think about this. So the, the picture again is, so here's me, here's you, and, and we're broken, uh, we're sinful, uh, we do wicked things, we rationalize, we justify sin, we're deceived, fill in the blank. And with this, Christ's blood becomes the umbrella, doesn't it? The umbrella. And as it's the umbrella, as God looks at you, as God looks at me, the person who's given their life to Christ, as we've literally just thrown our lives onto his altar, when God looks at you now, he looks through this umbrella of Christ's blood. The Old Testament was like this. They would take the, remember the, the kids of Israel leaving, and they took the blood, and what do they do with it? They put it on the doorpost, didn't they? But they smeared it on the doorpost. And what happened in that account? When the death angel came, what happened? Do you remember? Well, the death angel, when he saw the blood, right? When he saw the blood and literally passed over that home that was under the blood. It's the same thing with your life, my life. When we've truly given our life to Christ, we are under the blood. And God, here's what happens. When he now looks at you and me, he looks through the blood. That's like the greatest hallelujah moment ever, amen? I mean, when you know that in spite of your challenges, when I know in spite of my challenges, that Christ and his blood covers you, covers me, and God looks through the blood of his only begotten son as he was given up, as he was marred beyond recognition, that he was nailed to a cross, he was executed, he was tortured, he was beaten, as God looks through the blood and looks at me and you, he sees us as though we've never sinned. Total acquittal, not guilty. It really is the most glorious thing. I mean, what else could you have, right? You get the car, the house, the bank account, the retirement account, second sailboat, condo by the beach, yay, 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 and more yay. Uh, that's not going to compare to anything in the scope of Jesus says, hey, you're under my blood. See, that's mercy, clemency, that triumphs over judgment. That thought resonated in my mind. I want to give you a few verses here to encourage you. Hebrews chapter 9, write it down. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, 27. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. What an incredible verse, isn't it? Let me read it again. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. It's coming. How about Philippians 3.9? If you're wondering you know, what you can uh, tell to the Lord on that day, hey, you know, I, I had perfect uh, Sunday school attendance. I was a deacon. I was an usher. I picked up trash on the church campus. I was even the pastor. Golf clap. You know, Jesus is real impressed, right? No, here's the one thing we're going to be able to plead right there. Paul says in Philippians 3.9, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. Like on that day, that's all we plead, the righteousness of Jesus. And what's so beautiful about this? It's all enough, isn't it? That the judgment, the Passover will happen, that we will be secure, that we will be truly glorified and be like Him as we live for Him for all eternity. How about lastly, I want to give you 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I, I love 1 Corinthians 15. Make a note just to read that whole chapter here soon. 1 Corinthians 15, just incredible text. And here it is in verse 56 and 57. So not a short chapter, but power packed for sure. Listen to these glorious words that Paul writes to that 
church that was so messed up in Corinth. He says, the sting of death, 56 of 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is what? The law. Did you catch that? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory in Jesus is more than a song, amen? Uh, it should be our life's anthem, our, our mantra. And you got to think about it again. We've been acquitted. We've been set free. Mercy, I mean, the mercy of the cross, I man, it screamed, didn't it? The loudness and the volume of the mercy that screamed from the cross, it was deafening. I mean, just deafening. Think about on that day that, that as darkness filled the sky and there's a sincere and he's standing at the cross and, and he sees what's unfolding before his eyes. He's like, truly, this is the Son of God. That's that mercy. That blood ran red. But they lifted him high and then they stretched him wide, didn't they? When he died. And he gave his life and he conquered sin and death and, and the grave is forever empty. And no accusation. Just don't miss this. No accusation. No matter how wicked I've been or you've been, when we're under that blood, there's no accusation that will stand against us. Total acquittal. A total freedom. Freedom from that. The power of death and the schemes of the enemy that, that we've been set free. And as we said already so many times, who the sun sets free is free What? Indeed, amen? We're declared righteous. That criminal charge has been stamped not guilty. So here's your takeaway question. Write it down. Takeaway question. Answer truthfully. Do I extend mercy to others with the same urgency that I seek God's mercy for myself? Takeaway question. Ponder that for a moment. Do I extend mercy to others with the same urgency that I seek God's mercy for myself? And then lastly, the action step. Here it is. I will intentionally seek to be more merciful to those around me. I will intentionally seek to be more merciful to those around me. You know, what would happen in, in your life, in my life, your home, my home, our church, your business, your ball team, if we, me, you, took the challenge, not waiting for someone else to initiate all this, but we said, you know what, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to be the one. Life is way too short to keep long accounts, Amen. Life is way too short to keep long accounts. And all we do is we're the ones enslaved. What if we today, me, you, said, you know what? We're going to seek to be merciful to those around us. Because Christ gave us so much mercy, amen? I remember, this was years ago, but an illustration was shared with me about a gunman who had uh, burst into a gathering overseas. This was before it was so commonplace as it is today, but nevertheless, and nonetheless, they, they burst in overseas. And, and as they burst into this gathering, they began to open up fire with automatic weapons. And, 
as you can imagine, the carnage and the devastation and the scene was horrific and chaotic. And once the gunfire subsided and people were rushed in to try to help and evacuate what was left of the damage and the people under rubble and debris, they, they found at least one survivor and a television crew had come up to the survivor. They said, how is it you escaped? Like, how? how? I, this doesn't even make any sense. So you're in a gathering with a bunch of unarmed people. Gunmen come in with automatic weapons. You have no defense. And somehow you walk out of here alive. How does this happen? And I'll never forget the response that that person shared with that news reporter. They said, it must have been because I was covered in someone else's blood. Take that to the infinite degree. The only way we can escape is not to be under someone else's blood, but to be under the blood of Jesus Christ. See, mercy triumphs over judgment. And I don't know where you are today, but, but I know the Lord's working on me, and the Lord can work on you as well. And perhaps today the Lord's saying, speak and act in a way that's under the law of Christ. But as you're doing that, make sure that you're extending so joyfully and so eagerly the mercy that you so wonderfully desire yourself. Because in the end... It's the mercy of Jesus that will prevail over that final judgment. Amen. Father, we come before you. and Lord, as we just, just lay before you our hearts and our minds and our, our souls. God, I just ask that you would speak in a powerful way. You know, showing partiality is discrimination and it's racism. It's sinful. But if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can live in this rationalized sin by showing partiality and holding a grudge and being bitter and not extending mercy. And so God, would you just speak to our hearts? Set us free if we're in this today and there's a struggle. We unlock the handcuffs that have been holding us captive unwittingly, perhaps for days, weeks, months, years, maybe decades. Just show us your truth. Help us to walk in your love, your grace. Doesn't mean we don't confront sin. It doesn't mean there aren't boundaries for those that have hurt us. But God, your word tells us that, that vengeance is yours. Your word says to pray for your enemies. Well, that's amazing, Lord, that when we begin to pray for our enemies, those that have hurt us deeply, we're often praying that you would change their hearts, but what really happens is you change our hearts. And so God, would you work? 
Because holding grudges and bitterness will quench the Holy Spirit. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. So don't allow any of us, myself at the top of the list, to walk in this any longer. But I pray that we will be set free today. As we confess and we repent and walk forward in freedom. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.